Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and lay him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever, be, had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how, and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. And continuing on into chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went out to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with him who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village of which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And he was at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened, the, opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and now he was known to them in the and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And just a couple more verses. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit, and he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that it is my I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still, still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. May God bless the reading 
Well then, good. The kids are officially dismissed. Good morning. Kids are officially dismissed, and we can keep rolling here. So yes, this morning we uh, get to talk about the resurrection um, through our Daily Doctrine series. And uh, today the message is entitled, Daily Doctrines, Jesus, His Work, Our Rest. All right. Um, and for me, that's one of the most important parts about today, that we no longer have to strive to try to meet some kind of standard, but we can rely upon God, that we can rely upon Jesus and what He did for us. And so that's where our focus is going to be today. So, uh, when we met together on Friday, and I keep on wanting to say Wednesday, when we met together on Friday, we talked just very briefly about Jesus and his person. But I just wanted to review for a second um, some of those things that uh, Jesus is, uh, Jesus was and is for us. Um, And the first of those is that um, Jesus is the perfect picture of God to us. And we see that in Colossians uh, chapter 1 in, in Paul's hymn about who Christ is, that he is the image of the invisible God. So he is the perfect picture for us to see who God is. Um, also, Jesus is a perfect worshiper. Uh, maybe said in a different way, Jesus held, uh, stood up perfectly to the law. He fulfilled the law, right? And that's what Jesus told us, that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he did that perfectly by remaining sinless, but also adhering to the law um, that all Jews held to at the time. And because of that, Jesus is also the perfect object of our worship. He's the perfect object of our worship. Um, Obviously, we worship God the Father, um, but just speaking about Jesus now, uh, there is no better thing that has ever been embodied on this earth, right? There is no better person that we could commit ourselves to, devote ourselves to, and spend our time worshiping. And uh, in 1 Timothy, Paul says it this way, that uh, in verses 1 through 6, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, that man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He is our mediator. Um, And we all know the purpose of the Easter season. Everyone's sitting in this room right now. Uh, we don't necessarily have to... I'm not educating anyone here. 
and yet it's good for us to focus on these things. We needed Jesus to be our mediator, our go-between. There was a gap between us and God, and there was only one person that could bridge that gap, and that is Jesus. Um, And as we're going to talk about more in depth today, Jesus is our sacrifice, right? For thousands of years, um, God's first people, Israel, sacrificed animals over and over and over again to cover over their sins. Um, But Jesus being our priest, being uh, the better priest, being the better sacrifice, shed his blood for us and covered over our sins. Um, And as we confessed together earlier, Jesus is the Word made flesh. And we see that in John chapter 1. He is our King, right? Um, Now, unlike a lot of churches that would maybe say that Jesus' kingdom is here, if you look around, I would say that it is here, but it doesn't always look like it, right? Um, Not in its fullness. And yet, Jesus is the King of that kingdom. And one day, that kingdom will be made complete and everything will be made whole again. Or as the children's curriculum that we use says it, everything that is sad is being made untrue. And as we're going to see to death, even death is made untrue. I love the way that, that, um, that our children's curriculum says it. And much more, right? We could go on and on talking about who Jesus is in his person. We talked about who he is in the Godhead. And we could talk more and more about the different roles that he plays in our lives. But today, we have a different job to do. And that is to ask the question, what work did Jesus do? Now, I don't mean as a carpenter, right? Uh, as a stonemason following his dad around. Although we can assume that he did do that as most Jewish young men did in the time. But we're talking specifically about the work that he did um, on the cross for us. And so what work did Jesus do? And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, and this whole chapter is about resurrection and its implications for us as the church. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Um, Jesus died for us, and God the Father raised Him from the dead for us. That's the actual work, the specific work that Jesus did for us. Um, And also we see uh, that work explained more greatly by the prophet Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs. That is, he has put our griefs on his shoulders, our sadness, our weight. He and carried our sorrows. Yet we we esteemed him not. We did not consider him. Um, We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We ignored him. But he was pierced for our transgressions. That is, for our sins, for our wrongdoings. Um, He was punished. And um, 
holes were put in him, right? This is, this is a long, long time before Jesus came that prophet Isaiah is, is saying this. And he was crushed for our iniquities, for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. The pain, the suffering, the mockery that we should suffer, he suffered for us. And it brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Yet all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. All of our sin. Everyone's sin. Jesus took that upon himself. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that he became our sin. Right? The holy, perfect embodiment of God on earth becoming sin. And the next question that we have to answer is because of that work, through that work, what is it that Jesus accomplished for us? What is it that his death and his resurrection won in general? For us, for him, what did it do? Is the work effective is another way of asking that. Um, Well, first things first, he removed our sin. He removed our sin. And we see this in Romans chapter 3, verse 25 through 26. Whom God put forward, speaking of Jesus, as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation, big word. It means the removal of, the covering over of, the atonement of. Just like when we're reading in the Old Testament that um, people had to sacrifice animals and spill their blood and the blood of the animal was to cover over a person's sin or a family's sin. Um, Here, Jesus is doing just that. Except for his blood is so precious that it covers over the sin of the whole world. Covers over the sin of the whole world. As a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. God was patient, okay? He was patient with us, and he waited till the right time. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love that. To describe God as not just being just, but that he might become the justifier, right? We don't have to do that. In fact, I love it. Uh, in my class this week, I was teaching, we t- walked through the book of Job. And uh, one of the big things, uh, Job asks a lot of questions, right? And God reprimands him for that, but doesn't necessarily say that he's in sin. But what God does, and what Job does repent of, is for questioning God's justice, 
right? For asking if God is just. Because God doesn't just do just things. He is justice. He is justice. And that's why here in the book of Romans as well, uh, in chapter 3, verse 26, uh, that he might be just, which we already know that he is, but to become the justifier truly, because God is justice, he is the only one that could justify us. Justify means to make us right, right? To set us, um, uh, let's say uh, I'm fighting with someone, right? And, uh, well, I'll save, no, I'll save an example, okay? Just to say this, that to be justified means to be made right with, okay? That we are made right in the sight of. And in fact, when we put our faith in Christ, uh, when we um, put our faith in him, devote ourselves to him, uh, we are right there in that second justified. We are clean, no longer sinful in God's eyes. Um, So God removed our sin in his death and in his resurrection. Um, Also, Jesus' work did this. It redeems us. Jesus' work on the cross redeems us. And we see this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your heart, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All right. So, um, back in Jesus' day, uh, a slave could be redeemed by being purchased. His freedom could be purchased. Okay? And in the same way, we were slaves to sin. But the Apostle Paul is saying here that our, our debt... The record of our debt has been forgiven. In fact, it has been nailed to the cross and we have been saved. We have been set free because of it. So, what did Jesus accomplish? He removed our sin. He redeemed us. And he returned us. Okay, that sounds kind of weird. Did he return us to the store? Where did he send us? No, not exactly. He returned us to God, right? As we already talked about, Jesus is that mediator that we needed. He's that person that went between us and God and made the relationship work. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting verse 21, we read this. For to this you have been called, Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
So we haven't just been saved from something, our sin, death, hell. We've been saved to something. We've been saved to righteousness. But not just to righteousness. Let's keep reading. By his wounds you have been healed. We read that in Isaiah just now, that we are healed. But you restrain like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Okay? Who returned us? Jesus did that. Jesus did that. And we see that uh, by his wounds, by his mediation, by his going between us and God, we have been returned to God. So last week, uh, when we were talking about God's first people, Israel, uh, a people that God still has promises to fulfill to, and as next week we start talking about the church, uh, this right here is where we are as God's people. We have been returned to God, right? From Genesis at the fall, and then we see the promise of a rescuer in Genesis 3.15, as we've talked about all through this series. And here, that rescue, rescuer has come, and he has returned us. He has given us back to the Father. So, what did Jesus accomplish? He removed our sin, He redeemed us, and He returned us. Now, we could say that in another way, and in fact, we already did say that in another way this morning. We already did. For us, He kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags, and He gave us his righteous robes, right? We already confessed all of that this morning. We already said that. Um, that picture of our filthy rags, our dirty clothes, our sin being taken away, and being given a new robe, right? Like the prodigal son coming home, and the father taking off his best robe and giving it to him, or taking his best robe and giving it to him. This is what that is a picture of. A father welcoming home his children. All right. That's all well and good. That's all well and good. But what does that mean for you and for me this week? What does it mean for us? Right? This is living what we believe. Right? That's what this series is all about. So let's ask that question. How do we live what we believe? How do we live what we've confessed to be true, what we know to be true from God's Word? Um, and here's a couple of reminders that we should tell ourselves this week because of Jesus' work on the cross and because of His resurrection that we read about at the beginning of the service. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. Titus, uh, in Titus chapter 3, uh, it's written like this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, 
He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are loved. And because we are loved, we have become heirs with Jesus, right? You know what that also means? That means the person sitting beside you at the coffee shop this week, at uh, Wimpy tomorrow, right? Uh, The person that's in queue at you at the grocery store, and you're having to wait forever because town is really crowded right now. Um, They are loved by God. And Jesus' death on the cross did a work for them. And his resurrection is the sealing, the promising uh, of that work's effectiveness. That Jesus' work worked. Okay? So we are loved. Also, we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Colossians 1.19 says it this way, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We are forgiven and we are reconciled to God. This also means that we can rely on God. Proof of that is in the resurrection. Rely maybe isn't the best word. Maybe we could say, this week, you can rest in Jesus' work. You can rest in Jesus' work. Okay, that's all well and good. But you know, there's actually one more thing that I've been repeating throughout this series that... I always have to check myself on. Um, And that is, we talked about it a lot last week, that this is not primarily about me. And this is not primarily about you, right? So this is all well and good, but maybe another question, what does this mean for God? What does this mean for God? And we've already talked about it. God has brought his image bearers back to himself. From the very beginning, in the garden, God created us special. He created us different. Not that we're all individual snowflakes and we're all really awesome or anything like that, but we were different from the animals. We were different from the mountains. We were different from the stars in the sky from the oceans, right? He created us differently. We carry with us His image. We are... Yeah. We carry with us His likeness. Okay? We carry with us His likeness. And it's through Jesus' death on the cross through his resurrection, 
that we have been brought back to God. This is why all of this is important to us as well. Because all of this is important to God. All right. That was a short one today. That was a short one. But don't think you're getting off easy, okay? Because, um, as you already know, we don't dismiss here, but we do commission you to go, right? You are sent. So, in light of Christ's death, in light of his resurrection, in light of who he was, in light of his work, this week, uh, it is actually expected and required of all of us that we go out and we share this good news with everyone that we know. And a lot of people that we don't know, right? And so you are sent. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.